I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You don't have to dip forever. You know that, right? You don't have to smoke forever. And the reason I say it like that is I have been that guy. I've been that guy. I dipped for so long. And what would happen is I would decide I'm going to quit. That's bad for me. I'm going to quit. I'm a man. I don't need any help. I'm just going to quit cold turkey. And I would fail time and time and time again. I tried things like the patch. That didn't work. Gum, sunflower seeds. I I tried it all. It's just a matter of finding the right thing to help you quit. That's Jake's Mint Chew. Go, put in your dip. Just make sure it's Jake's Mint Chew. It's tobacco-free. It's nicotine-free. It's even sugar-free. And I highly recommend, just a personal choice, I highly recommend their CBD pouches because it really helps take that extra edge off. Get a jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE at checkout. When you do that, you get 10% off. Something hasn't felt right with this coronavirus pandemic from the beginning. I know you know what I'm talking about. Something has felt off from the very beginning. It just didn't, it didn't make sense. Everything didn't make sense. Our, our steps didn't make sense. Don't get me wrong. A, a virus coming from China, intentionally or otherwise, that, that kills people, that, that makes sense. Viruses pop up in other parts of the world, sometimes created, sometimes just in nature. So that part of it makes sense. 
China lying about the virus makes total sense. That's what commies do. Commies lie because commies are disgusting. All that made sense. I'm not talking about that. But the response, the response by the Western world didn't make sense. It, it, was, it was never something I could wrap my arm around. I, I just didn't... Wait a minute. What are we... Wait, what? what? We're doing what now? We're locking down? We're, wait, we're locking down, but we're also spending more money than we've ever spent before and and everyone has to lock down but the politicians aren't locking down and i mean these people are caught at this party and these people were in this salon and these people are in this private jet but they're telling you and i it's just nothing ever made total sense about it honestly what it looked like and i understand why there are people out there who call it a pandemic. it looked intentional all this stuff looked intentional and I don't know that I'm going to go there. I don't know that I'm going to go that our response was an intentional thing to, to, to gain power from the very beginning. But I will tell you this, and I am entirely convinced of this. I believe that virus came from China. I do believe that at first it caught people off guard. And I believe it took the powers that be in the West about 15 seconds to realize they could use this virus to gain more power and control than they've ever had before. It's not as if, you know, use it, never let a good crisis go to waste. Rahm Emanuel said that. It's not as if that's some kind of new concept. In the history of mankind, people have always used a crisis to gain power, to gain money. What's that old saying, when there's blood on the street, buy property? This is just, this is a saying as old as time. This is not something new. But I think the powers that be in this world viewed this whole thing as an opportunity. And that's why you're seeing so many of the things you're seeing. And that's why when people talk about the Great Reset, I give some credence to it. I mean, you remember the Great Reset. You know Klaus Schwab? He was that uh, German engineer and economist. He's, he's uh, the founder and executive chairman of the World Economic Forum. He had this to say. The pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and reset our world. Reset the world? Did your world need reset? My world didn't need reset. My world was doing just fine pre-coronavirus. It had its ups and downs, obviously, because I am what I am, but I didn't need reset. People weren't asking to be reset. I think the West, especially the super, super wealthy, super powerful, the wired-in people, the politicians, I think they constantly look at the freedoms the people have in the West, and I think they resent them. I think they resent the fact that they don't have the power of some Chinese dictator to determine every part of people's lives. I don't think the leaders of the West look at Western freedoms and say to themselves, nice, this is exactly the way it's supposed to be. I think they look at your freedom and my freedom and they say to themselves, that sucks. I wish, I wish they didn't have so much freedom. If I could just control them. If I could just be the one in charge, be the one calling all the shots, well, then, then, then it would all be fine. Then it would all be fine. I can improve these things. I, I can stop climate change. I can provide more equality out there. I can solve racism. I can, I can do all these things. These idiot rubes can't do it. I could do it, but the problem is 
I don't have enough control. And I think very, very early on, they looked at this coronavirus and they said to themselves, we may have something here. It's a deadly virus, but it's not so deadly that I'm personally in any danger. Lord knows they're just going to go get the medication everybody knows works as soon as they get it. So they're not personally in any danger, but it's deadly enough. They can sell you and sell me that it's the second coming of the Black Plague. It's perfect for them. Absolutely perfect. It's not so deadly they lose the whole population, but it's deadly enough they can scare you into hiding, going home, putting on a mask, closing down your business, and losing everything until they tell you it's safe. Listen to Klaus Schwab here. What is your priority when you would, if you could, initiate uh, this reset? I think there are three dimensions, three priorities. The first one is to make the world more resilient uh, because we definitely will have to face other surprises, black swans, as they are called, uh, maybe different kinds of viruses. Uh, second, we have to make the world more inclusive, fair, uh, because we have seen that we have uh, reached um, unsustainable degrees of, um, uh, of levels of uh, people who feel felt excluded. And finally, uh, we have to make the world much greener. Uh, we finally, we finally have to put all our energy behind the decarbonization in order to avoid a major catastrophe in the future. Those sound like your priorities? Or do those sound like leftist commie priorities? What well, was it has to be fairer? Well, we've got a catastrophe. And this we, 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 we. I, I said this earlier, and I'm going to say this again. I told you this before. This is the 100% truth. There are a lot of people out there who've loved every single minute of coronavirus, and they don't want it to end. And until you realize that, you will never fully understand the reason they do the things they do. If you're a boring, uninteresting cable news pundit, you don't want coronavirus to end. That's all you're selling every night. You're not selling your personality. You don't even have one. You need coronavirus there, baby. You're going to die. Join us next. We're going to have Dr. Fauci on next, and he's going to tell you why you're all going to die. Don't miss this. If you want to avoid dying, we'll be. hang on after this commercial break. That's all you've got. If you're some mayor, some governor somewhere, you haven't missed a meal. You haven't missed a paycheck. You're still working out in your gym. You're still getting your hair cut. You haven't missed out on a single thing. Maybe, maybe you have to give fewer TV interviews, which they hate half the time anyway. You have more power than you've ever had in your life and haven't missed a paycheck to get it. What's your motivation to end it? You don't have one. Do you think Nancy Pelosi wants this coronavirus pandemic to end? She's still getting her crew cut done in the old salon with no mask on. She ain't missed out on a thing. She's just happy the other peons in the salon aren't there because she banned them all right before she went in. And it's not just Americans either. We have world leaders. We had Justin Trudeau, that idiot leader of Canada, get up and talk about a reset. Right now, all of our countries are dealing with the health and economic impacts of the global pandemic. But as we look to rebuilding from this crisis, we must do so in a way that will build back better for all of our citizens. And that must include an ambitious plan to take strong action against climate change. You see, 
They're always using the same language. They're all using the same language. Great reset, a reset here, a reset there. Ask yourself, were you in need of a reset? Or were they in need of a reset so they could get you where they want you? They use fear to sell you. They use fear to control you. And unless they have fear, they can't. That's what Western leaders have figured out for a long time now because you value your freedom. It's DNA. Freedom's in your DNA. You're an American. You value your freedom. Without fear, they can't ever take it from you because you'll fight for it. But if they tell you you're going to die, grandma's going to die, sister's going to die, mom's going to die, husband's going to die, unless you give me that control, maybe you'll be a little bit easier to control. Stop being easy to control. Don't let them have that. Not now, not ever. All right. We have quite a special for you tonight about this great reset. Something I find, I find the whole concept of it to be extremely fascinating. And, and look, at this point, how can you look at everything that's done, everything that's happened because of coronavirus and not say to yourself, this was on purpose. All that may make you uncomfortable, but I'm right. We'll be back. Joining me now, Brandon Weikert, as he often does. He's the author of the great book, highly recommended, Winning Space. He's also a writer at Real Clear World. Brandon, tell me something. I hear a lot of this great reset talk. And, and at first, honestly, the first time I heard it, I kind of just blew it off. I was like, what is this yeah. crazy conspiracy theorist nonsense? But now I see world leaders are using this word. People like Trudeau yeah. are using this word. Gates is using what, what great reset? Reset to what? What are they talking about? <laughs> well, um, this is your typical uh, globalist, um, uh, you know, uh, ad ad uh, advantage-seeking behavior. Uh, never let a crisis go to waste. And so uh, over the last year since COVID hit, all of our sort of democratic globalist elites around the world have gotten together at Davos and their other enclaves where they have these secret meetings. And they've decided that the best way to survive COVID is to basically rewrite the entire order uh, our society, how we live, how we purchase things, you know, et cetera, all to basically, they say, to save the world. I suspect it's to enhance their own interests uh, at our expense. But of course, they say they're doing it uh, to save the world. I do think it's important to understand um, there, there is a consensus, I think, among these people that they want to impose these sweeping changes. Uh, they want global warming changes. They want to change the way we consume energy, the way we produce energy, all to save the world. But the question is, do they really have the political power to do that? And I don't know if they do. Uh, these are the sorts of things we've heard for the last 50 years. Remember all the conspiracies about trilateral commission, uh, you know, the Council on Foreign Relations. So some of it is accurate that, yes, they've met and they want to do these things. Uh, but the question is on execution, how much can they get done? And I don't know. The political system, at least in the West, remains heavily divided between the nationalist populist side 
uh, the de- the socialist side, and then the elite sort of neoliberal democratic globalist side. So we'll see what happens and how organized they really are. Wait a minute. There's a secret meeting at Davos. One, where is Davos? That sounds like a nice place. And two, is there really a secret meeting? Who's going to the meetings? It's it's not really secret. It's it's for the world's thought leaders. Uh, so ah. they've they've had people like uh, uh, you know Peter Thiel has gone there occasionally. They've also had Henry Kissinger. They've had um, Jamie Dimon. Uh, they've had, uh, you know, a variety of, of notables in politics, culture, economics. Uh, you know, uh, Robert Reich, I believe, goes out there. Um, and they've even had Marco Rubio out there a couple of times. And so uh, it's it's sort of this, this little powwow where they get a few hundred of the people they consider to be the world's movers and shakers. And they, they talk about the big big ideas of tomorrow. And of course, all the big ideas of tomorrow usually are based on big ideas that were first formed in the 1900s uh, with the rise of progressivism. Everything has a progressive tilt to it. And then CNBC usually covers it uh, fawningly. So, uh, you know, I don't know how much of a secret it is. It's in plain sight, but it uh, they do meet and they do talk about these things and they are with very important people. But again, just because they have important people doesn't mean they can get a consensus together large enough to actually implement a lot of these things at the political level. And they've been talking about global warming since the 70s, and they haven't really gotten much done in terms of remaking the world you know, along those lines. So who knows how effective they really are. Why haven't they gotten much done as far as their global warming pile of crap goes? Because they haven't. I mean, they continually try. They'll even have stupid things like the Paris Agreement, which isn't even binding. People just come and go as they please, as we did, by the grace of God. But why haven't they gotten it done? Is it just that enough people don't really buy into it? I think it's enough people don't really buy into it. And then they also, I think, realize that this could blow back on them. And so they don't want to push too far too quickly. That's why you have sort of the uh, AOC wing, for instance, of the Democratic Party getting angry that, hey, we're not going fast enough. Well, it's because the elites in that party, and it's it's also some of the elites in the Republican Party, uh, they realize that if they go too far too quickly, they could actually end up losing their jobs, their elected spots, and their influence. And so it's this sort of, uh, you know, uh, one step forward, two step back kind of thing they have to do. And um, there are still enough people, I think, in the West who are opposed to these ideas, and we have enough elected people uh, that it just won't happen fast enough for them. Uh, Just because they want to do these things doesn't mean they'll be able to. And they can have all of the, the beautiful meetings that they want, but ultimately, um, you have to get a majority to, you know, in a democratic society, you have to get a majority of people to to support this. And so far, it's just been either too esoteric for people to grasp or they just don't care because they want to put food on their plate. And so don't talk to them about, you know, the world flooding in 2050. How are they going to pay for their family at the end of the week or at the end of the month? And so they haven't really translated these these concerns uh, in a way that ordinary people, I think, would be willing to to risk financial futures uh, to vote for. And as long as that happens, I think we're going to have a natural check 
on some of the excesses that these people want to engage in. Who's George Soros? Uh, Soros is a is a Hungarian-born financier. Uh, there's, in my opinion, there's there's a lot of conspiracy theory about him. He is somebody who he speculates uh, against countries' currencies. He famously destroyed the British pound sterling. Uh, you know, he made buku bucks in the 1990s in the Asian markets when all the Asian economies were collapsing, and he invested and in, in basically speculated against the solvency of those currencies, made a lot of money. He occasionally does that here. Um, there is a lot of conspiracy theory about about Soros, and I think that he's actually not the biggest concern we have. He's certainly not pro-America. He's certainly not a friend of the Republican Party. Um, but um, I, I really think we on the right fixate on the Soros connection, I think maybe a bit too much. Um, you know he's he's important and he he is a problem in terms of what he funds and who he backs and he certainly likes to create chaos uh but there are many many more other people out there who operate in the same way and don't get as much notoriety which gives those people a little bit more impunity to act you know more dangerously than even soros can who well, you name it. I mean, there's there's the Wall Street, there's these, you know, the Wall Street connection. You know, you look at some of the biggest hedge funds or some of the biggest investors, they're not voting Republican and they're not supporting Republican candidates. Some of that's because they're based in New York and so they have to play nice with the Democrats there. But when you talk to these people, there's a lot of people out there who deal with Wall Street, who are the movers and shakers who are Democrats and they're genuine liberals. I mean, Jamie Dimon that I mentioned earlier, you know, he's somebody that has notoriously supported Democrat causes. Uh, he's someone who claims to be a free marketer, but he's really more of a neoliberal. And he's, he's certainly what we would call a corporate con. Uh, you know, he's, he's a big, big business guy. And so anything that benefits big business, he's going to support. And anymore, the Democratic Party has been the big supporter of big businesses, at least among the, the, the people who run the party. Uh, Jamie Dimon made out like a bandit during the 08 recession with the bailouts, even though he was part of the problem that led to the financial collapse in 2008. So everybody talks about Soros, but but honestly, Soros is a small bit player, in my opinion, uh, compared to some of these other names who are quite mainstream and we don't really talk about in a kind of problematic fashion the way we do Soros. Brandon Weikert, go buy his book, Winning Space. I appreciate you, my man. You having me. How about that? Weikert dropping some knowledge on us tonight. All right. We got more. Hang on. Joining me now is Hal Lambert. He's the former Ted Cruz National Finance Chair, and he's the founder and CEO of Point Bridge Capital. He's also one of the most intelligent human beings I've ever met in my life. And he says he's been looking at data about the election. And I wanted to start there with Hal. Hal, what have you seen? Well, I've seen a few things. I mean, I've, I've had some data scientists looking at this. 
Uh, as an example, uh, if you look at Georgia, uh, you had uh, easy to easy to see the inactive voter rolls. You had 15,000 inactive voters, meaning the state of Georgia could not locate them. They weren't at their addresses. They couldn't find them. They voted. Uh, it's determined at least 4,400 of those don't live in Georgia anymore. Uh, the others, we don't know who they are. We can't find them. They don't know who they are, but they voted. So, you know, that's enough right there to overturn Georgia. But a bigger finding has been uh, with these Dominion machines. And I was a little bit skeptical of the whole Dominion thing, but um, uh, I had a friend of mine take a look at the data, uh, and this is what he does for a living. He's a fraud. Uh, he looks at fraud for insurance companies. And he ran data on, uh, on uh, Dominion machines looking at it this way. In 2008, Dominion was only used in one state, basically, the state of New York. By 2020, it was used in uh, over 3,000 counties in the United States. So what he did was he excluded New York and he looked at the voting patterns from 2008 and compared them to 2020. And then you can run a regression model and statistically look at, did a Dominion machine in the, in the county uh, have an effect on the outcome of, of, the, of the vote? And you can look at it with statistical uh, certainty on whether or not it did. And the answer is it did to about the tune of one and a half percent on average, meaning there was a one and a half percent greater vote for Biden and a one and a half percent decline in vote for Trump on average in places where the Dominion machine were, was used, keeping everything else constant. So if you look out and say, okay, how does this work? Think about a county, any county you may know, that's very similar to another county from demographics and everything else, and one used Dominion and the other did not use Dominion. And you can look at that over thousands of counties and you can look at statistical regression and hold other factors constant. And you can see that the data with those counties that use Dominion, it could have been a Republican county on both cases, but let's say that one county came in at 58% for Trump and the other was 42% for Biden, or 58-42 for Biden in that county. The other county might've been 56 for Trump and 44 for Biden when it really should have still statistically been the other way, 58-42. So that's what I'm looking at. And that data is out there. The campaign has it. Um, it's out publicly now. And, and it's been challenged and not been able to be refuted. So that's something that's going to have to be looked at. It's not going to be in time probably for January. But you can, we can look at that over the next six months and really need to audit these Dominion machines. That's the way you're going to figure it out. So what do we think happened? How, do, do we think the machine was, uh, because people hear all these things and they hear these numbers and their eyes glaze over, but do we think, you know, Flossie walked up there and hammered the button for Donald Trump and as soon as it got sent back, the computer switched it to Joe Biden? Is that what we think? It, it looks like what's happening is that the computer is somehow skewing those votes uh, just slightly enough for uh, Biden over Trump. And it doesn't have to mean that Trump lost the county. It just means that Trump didn't win the county by as much as he really did. And if you do that over thousands of counties and you do it in the right states, you can swing an election. And it's certainly the data would support that it, it would have happened in Georgia, would have happened in Wisconsin um, and, and other states. It's very, very close. So when you're looking at states that are only separated by, you know, 10,000 to 50,000 votes, that data makes a that switch makes a difference. And it certainly makes a difference. Um, you know, when you're looking at it in the context of overall votes for Biden and Trump on a national level. So if they did it in states where it didn't even matter, just to skew the total number of votes more towards Biden than Trump uh, overall. 
Hal, I'm not sure if you saw, but Bill de Blasio is out there riding the mass transit system in New York City, and that means everything's safe now. Haven't you heard? <laughs> well, I'm glad we get to take our cues on safety from, from Bill de Blasio. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's sad. He's going to close the entire city down, but say the subways are fine. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's really unbelievable what they're doing in these states. And it's very clear they're counting on major federal bailout money for these states uh, with the Biden administration. That's what they're that's what they're they're hanging their hat on is that hey, it doesn't matter. We're going to get billions of dollars to come in here and bail out our tax tax base that we no longer have uh, and bail out our pension funds. I don't understand why they think that's good enough, though. How here's 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 what I mean. I understand how New York City, New York State, would feel like they can torpedo their economy and then just go to Nancy Pelosi and get a big fat check. But even if they do, I mean, you know a lot more about economics than I do. You can't possibly distribute that money in the same way the private sector could. You've still lost so much of your base because those businesses are going out of business. I know, but what, really what you're looking at is, is a lot of these politicians, they've never worked in the real world. They're just academics. Um, I mean, look at look at Joe Biden. He's never worked in the real world. Even when he left the vice presidency, all he did was give speeches and write a book. He didn't go create any jobs. And now he's out saying he's going to create millions of jobs for the economy. Well, he's never done it. I mean, what's he saying? The government's going to do that? His policies are going to do that? It's the same kind of you know ego that you have with with the Gavin Newsoms of the world, the, the Cuomos of the world, uh, you know, it, they, their view is that the government can make anything happen that they want to make happen. And if they will it, then they'll just will more restaurants back into New York City and it'll happen. I don't see it happening. They don't really understand it. And we're going to find out over the next couple of years how bad it gets in these places. I've, I've beat my head against the wall trying to explain to these idiot politicians what supply chains are and how, I mean, even if you don't care about the local mom and pop restaurant, if enough of them close, that, that, that filters all the way down to farmers. That filters the transportation companies. That filters everywhere. We're gutting out huge portions of our society, and these idiots don't seem to understand. You know, it, it, it's really difficult to kind of get in their mind, uh, but I think that you'd have to say... Maybe their view is, look, many of these small businesses, they're Republican voters. We don't really care. Uh, if they have to get on the government dole, then that's going to make them Democrat voters. I, I, that's the only thing that you, know, you could maybe think would make any sense at all with the logic behind the way they're operating uh, is they simply think, well, you know, they're not going to be homeless because we're going to provide a home for them and we're going to provide food for them. So if they can't work, They'll just be relying on us, and, and that'll make them vote for us. How Joe Biden's presidency, lots of people, especially Wall Street people, they, they, they don't generally care whether it's a Republican or Democrat, or at least they don't seem to. They just continue to march along. Do we think he's going to be a kind of leave your 401k kind of president? Can we at least bank on that? I'm looking for good news here. Well, they're counting on Biden to be kind of a make a deal Democrat, right? They're counting on him to, you know, compromise and make deals. I think it's going to be really difficult for him to do that. We're, we're going to see, uh, you know, it obviously depends a lot on what happens in Georgia and the Senate. I, I, I think actually Joe Biden would probably prefer Republicans hang on to those Senate seats because that'll give him some cover uh, from the far left of his base. Uh, and he can just blame everything on Republicans for not going out with these 
crazy new deals. But, you know, the global, if you know, if you think about it from a global perspective, there's a massive amount of pressure to redistribute wealth and bring in socialism all over the world, which ultimately moves to Marxism. And you're seeing that with this global reset that they're talking about. And if you compare that to Biden's build back better, there's a lot of overlap in those two things. And, and it's, it's, you know, the solutions for build back better are all government solutions. You know, it starts with, you know, you know, we've got to have a, a, a vaccine, uh, you know, insurance for people that have been put out of work for vaccine. Well, President Trump's already got that. Um, but the other interesting thing is he said we need a, a bailout of Main Street uh, and a, a build back better for Main Street. But he doesn't describe what that is. Uh, it's just big government kind of platitudes that he talks about in Build Back Better, but a lot of it underneath is, you know, redistribution, uh, create a fairer economy, create more fairness, create more equitable outcomes for people, which is the same thing that's in the uh, global reset that they're talking about out of Europe. Hal Lambert, thanks for giving us some knowledge tonight, man. I appreciate it. Hey, appreciate it. Glad to be on. Great reset. Doesn't sound like it's for me. All right, we got a lot more show for you. We'll be back. Joining me now, columnist from Breitbart, London, James Dellingpole. James, we consider the United States of America a lot over here. Obviously, we focus on ourselves, as most people do, and we talk about the things the left is trying to do here and the way they're advancing through our culture over here. What are they doing in your neck of the woods? Your problems are our problems. I mean, what's going on right now? We look at the fact that a, a viral respiratory infection no worse than, say, the influenza of 2017, 2018. As many people died in 2017, 2018, died of, of flu, as have died this year of coronavirus. We didn't lock down the global economy in, in 2017, 2018. We didn't wear masks. We, we carried on as normal. It was the same in the Hong Kong flu epidemic of, 20, uh, of um, 1968, which killed proportionately many more people. So you've got to ask yourself, why are they do doing this? Why is in, in this coordinated action by government across the world, being exceptions, Sweden, Brazil, Belarus, bizarrely. But what's happening in your country is happening in my country too. We've got this kind of governments which we sort of trusted to be like normal and do the right thing and look after our interests are suddenly becoming like fascist dictatorships. And I would okay. say that this is... Carry on. No, 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 I'm sorry. Okay, but why? It doesn't make sense to me why. I, I guess I, I've always wondered why, because from the very beginning, it seemed intentional to me. I never believed it was a pandemic. I'm not saying that. I believe it's a real virus, whatever the severity yeah. anyone can decide. But it seems like an intentional yeah. destruction of the West. And I see it in your country. I see it in my country. It seems intentional. Is it? Yeah. It is. Oh. It's, it's, it's quite extraordinary because I don't want to believe this. I don't want to be the guy wearing the tinfoil hat. I don't, want, I don't want this kind of shadowy global elite 
to be creating this thing they call the new normal and rejecting all the things that I loved about the world. You know, the idea that with a bit of personal responsibility, a bit of ambition, a bit of hard work, you could create a better world for your children and, and for your grandchildren. Those rules seem to have been changed by, by powers that we have little control over. It seems like our governments are acting as, 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 the, as the puppets of, of puppet masters sort of beyond our purview. And I'm afraid to say that the only way of really understanding this is in terms of this thing called the Great Reset. And the Great Reset has been going on for a very long time. We're talking, okay, so technocracy, which is what this, this, this really is, this is a, a totalitarian movement like Marxism, like, like Nazism, like fascism. The twist on this particular totalitarian movement is that the elite are technocrats. They are experts. They are scientists. They are people who know better than you do how you should live your life how much energy you should use, how many scarce resources you should, you should use in your, in your worthless life. You become essentially a slave of the system. Now, this started off as a, as a, as a kind of cult in the 1930s. And then it was, it sort of died a death, and then it was revived by a guy you may have heard of called, um, uh, called uh, Rockefeller. Um, David Rockefeller was, the, was one of the heirs to the, to the Rockefeller oil fortune. He teamed up with a guy called Zbigniew Brzezinski, who was a member of Jimmy Carter's cabinet. And they formed something called um, uh, the, the Trilateral Commission. And when I tell you that the Trilateral Commission's members over the years have included the entire Jimmy Carter cabinet, they have included George W. Bush, George H.W. Bush, you realize the scale of the problem. This is not a kind of a left thing. This is something that embraces the, the GOP as well. It embraces big tech. A lot of the, the, the movers and shakers in the world right now, I mean, uh, Jeffrey Epstein was, uh, Epstein was, was, was a, a member of the Trilateral Commission. Uh, this thing goes is on a level beyond the ken of most of us ordinary mortals. And yet these guys are pulling the lever, levers which will control our lives in the future unless we start resisting. What are the, okay, is this, is this some open group? They say we're a bunch of rich, powerful guys meeting together to help people. Is this like something out of the movies? They're, they're hiding in a smoke-filled room smoking cigars somewhere? What, what is it, the Trilateral Commission? I don't understand. So if you, if you go onto the, you, you can Google Trilateral Commission and you can see its members and you, you'll recognize some of the names and you'll see what they aim they're doing and it all sounds, it all sounds kind of boring and kind of innocuous. So they'll talk a lot about things like sustainability. Sustainability is a word that's entered the, the vocabulary of, of, of all sort of global actions, you know, whether it's a, at a local government level or whether it's being talked about at the latest Davos summit. Uh, it's a thing that has entered our, our consciousness. We go, yeah, we kind of know it's a good thing because they keep telling us it is. We're not really sure what it's about. Well, when you start looking underneath the rock and seeing the creatures that are crawling out of it, you realize that sustainability is actually not a good thing. 
it's about it's about a sort of things that you might might associate with with Marxism, with the sort of the equality agenda, with wealth redistribution, with, uh, with a global elite dictating how we do business, how we live our lives, how much travel we do, you know, how many how many plane flights we can take a year. It's it's about it's about having your freedoms taken away from you in the name of a, a greater, a bold new future. It's like Brave New World. In fact, it is Brave New World. Aldous Huxley, when he wrote in 1932, he was putting it on the technocracy movement, which was just emerging at that time. So if you want to know what this dystopian future looks like, read Brave New World and tremble. And similarities it's not just in in this how where um how, how these kind of this scientific elite um allocates our roles that we 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 perform in the world but also do you remember have you read red brave new world there's there's this drug that they have called soma and soma keeps you happy i mean one of the one of the things that struck me about this crisis this this pandemic this alleged alleged pandemic is how We've always, we've, we've, you know, the supermarkets are providing all the stuff we need. I mean, I, I can go to my supermarket and I can get all, this, all the, the luxury food items that kept me happy before. Um, it's like, and, and, and if I want to buy some marijuana, I can just go onto the dark web and, 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 and get, you know, a range of flavors. You know, you can get the booze, you can get, it's like, you're allowed to drug yourselves and 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 sate all your all your bodily desires, um, but your your real freedoms are being stolen away in a even in a, in, in in real. We are sadly losing James to a bad connection, but that was fascinating. We are going to have him on again very soon. I, I, I think we could do about an hour with James to hear him lay this out. I'm officially creeped out. All right. We have a lot more for you coming up. Hang on. Every single time you turn on the news and they're telling you to be afraid, you need to ask yourself why. Whenever you log on a social media and people are telling you to be afraid, you need to ask yourself why. When you're listening to things on your way to and from work, walking around the house, and they're making you afraid, you need to ask yourself why. Why do channels that talk about the weather all the time, why do they seem so excited at hurricane time? because you're gonna be watching because you're scared. Stop letting them sell you on fear. If you find yourself getting that feeling of anxiety, feeling of fear when you're watching something, turn it off. Or maybe don't turn it off. Maybe sit there and figure out the angle because there's almost always an angle, always. These people are serious. They want to adjust your way of life permanently. They want more control and they're going to try to scare you to get it. Don't let them. All right, we'll do it again sometime.
On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of the Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years was solely dedicated working on the cover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good looking young lady. She's serving me drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually, my drink was, give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink, the guys come in, I'm gonna go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money. Bam, I give her $100. If you're with the mob, I say, hey Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleha Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 